When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, beautiful people. This is Forever Young. I'm Dr. Payman Daniel Poor, and unfortunately, my co-host of the show is not around today, but I do have my other partner, Dr. Resida, who is going to share us with us some insights on breast cancer reconstruction, uh, something that's very near and dear to my heart, has been for many, many years, um, and I am very excited to speak to him about it. We are very happy to have him here today, and uh, before I get started, I just want to introduce him once again. He has been with our practice for the last year. He is a graduate of Rutgers, of Northwestern University, and most recently he finished a plastic surgery residency at the famous UCLA Medical Center. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Cameron Reside. Always a pleasure. So today we're going to talk about breast cancer reconstruction, um, and it is a complicated and um, very important topic for plastic surgeons because we all do it. Um, we are all plastic and reconstructive surgeons. And doing breast cancer reconstruction is not as simple as just throwing an implant in, and that's why we have Dr. Reside here. And what we're gonna talk about is doing implant-based reconstruction and doing what's something called autologous reconstruction, which I think is some of the most fascinating operations we do as plastic surgeons. Um, and we'll go, we'll take a step-by-step -step approach on how we approach all of our patients, um, what we offer them, if we're gonna offer them autologous versus implant-based um, or even fat transfer and why we do it. So I'm just gonna have you kind of take me through the process of seeing a patient, um, what determines how and why and what you offer them, um, and we'll go from there. Yeah, so um, first of all, you know, I, I think what you said about all plastic surgeons being trained in reconstructive surgery is very important. I think that's a big part of our field. I think in order to be very good at cosmetic surgery, you have to also understand and be very good at reconstructive surgery, so it goes hand in hand. Um, in regards to breast cancer, um, unfortunately, breast cancer is incredibly common in this country and um, it affects, you know, uh, moms, you know, sisters in our communities, people just near and dear to our hearts. Um, and so I think the quality of care is extremely important. Um, and what's really nice about breast cancer reconstruction and something that I've taken note of is that in the past few decades, it really has transitioned from trying to just you know, create a breast mound. Uh, in other words, like just putting some tissue or an implant there, um, results that were not great at all as from a, from an aesthetic standpoint to results that we can generate today. Um, that honestly, some of these results are incredible and, and almost look like a, an augmentation. So it, you know, it, it's definitely reason for hope if, if, uh, God forbid, you know, you have a, a breast cancer diagnosis and, just know that in the right hands, uh, the results of a reconstruction can be incredible in this day and age. And it's important what, what Dr. Resident just said, in the right hands, because some of these operations 
are very technically challenging and we're going to get to them and and it really is important to go to somebody that does a lot of them because if they fail it's a big problem um and i'm going to start out and just kind of you know go through the different types in the sense that you have a patient that comes in and, and has a, a BRCA positive um no breast cancer but just as brca positive um how do we approach someone that has the gene for breast cancer um, but doesn't have breast cancer yet. So you do a mammogram, they don't have breast cancer, but their risk is really elevated. Um, what do we do for patients like that? Yeah, so um, that's, uh, that, that is a question that would not have been asked uh, 20 years ago, and it's a very interesting um, question and also um, topic to, to discuss because uh, the BRCA gene is you know, one of many um, that predisposes women to cancer. And so anytime there's a dense family history of cancer, in other words, if you're 25 and, you know, um, unfortunately, if you say your mother, aunt, um, you know, aunt on both sides have had breast cancer diagnoses, you are at increased risk for breast cancer. Uh, and that's an unfortunate fact. Um, it may all, it may have to do with the BRCA gene, or it may have to do with a gene that we're not aware of yet. So Absolutely. there's, there's a lot of work being done on this. Um, in uh, university medical centers and um, kind of all throughout the country to better identify um, risk factors for breast cancer. And they, I, I know for a fact that in the next decade or two, we're going to have other genes in addition to BRCA. Uh, Which we already do also, right, to, right. very much so. So, um, so I think, but BRCA is the most well-known of these. So essentially that increases your chance for breast cancer. So getting back to your question, what do you do? So um, if you have the BRCA mutation, then that means you're at uh, a significantly higher chance of um, developing a breast cancer over the course of your lifetime. So much so that the current guidelines are to um, obviously, you know, consult with a, an oncologist and then discuss this with a breast surgeon but it has become increasingly common to undergo a mastectomy if you have a BRCA mutation. So what that means is you don't have breast cancer. You just have um, an increased likelihood. But we know from all the science that's been done that your likelihood is so high that it, you're better off having a mastectomy. Uh, and so that, that's a very different way of approaching uh, breast cancer um, when compared with, you know, the 1980s, 1990s even. Uh, things have changed quite a bit. Yeah, that's so, so if you really think about it, the, the morbidity is significantly reduced because you're not treating a cancer. So if it comes in later, we don't know if the cancer spread, if we need radiation, depending on what type of cancer it is. So our reconstructive ladder, in a sense, changes. Um, and our options change because we can do things that sometimes we would be reluctant to do if it was a cancer operation with radiation. So most of the people that come in with BRCA positive mutation and have a mastectomy and they come to you or they're having or they're getting scheduled for a mastectomy, what is it that you as a plastic surgeon, what are the options you give them? So again, you know, big picture, there's two different routes. You can go with an implant-based reconstruction or you can use your own tissue. Obviously, a lot of this depends on anatomy. So, um, you know, there are women who, who come in and, and they want a certain type of reconstruction, but, and then are 
um, you know, unfortunately, it's kind of our job as, as responsible surgeons to say that's not the best option for you. Um, and so a lot of it depends on a couple things, you know, um, whether or not they have the abdominal tissue to be able to transfer it to the chest to create a breast. Um, and then whether or not their breast anatomy will allow for sparing of the nipple. And a lot of that depends on the length from the, um, from the top of the chest to the nipple. So everything we do in plastic surgery relies on an intimate understanding of blood supply. And so that, that guides every discussion we have with our patients. And, um, you know, un- unfortunately, and it sounds, it sounds kind of cliche, but you have to do the consult to know, you know, what you're, what you're a good candidate for. Very important because it, it, I just recently did a case with a, with a BRCA patient that needed a mastectomy and, and I actually consulted with Dr. Reside. Um, and this is a patient that came in very young, beautiful girl, didn't want to have her breast removed, um, but came in very early and and had a little bit of a sag to her breast, which is called you know, a little bit of a totic breast, where her nipple position was a little lower. And we discussed it, and Dr. Reside and I, you know, Dr. Reside really came up with a good plan of doing a breast lift first, putting the breast in the perfect position, waiting for a while, then doing the mastectomy and doing what's called an implant-based reconstruction. So just putting an implant right away because she had enough of skin envelope to fit an implant. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up is because I want to kind of transition into when we do mastectomies and they don't have enough skin and we want to do an implant-based reconstruction, what are our choices there? If we're not going to use your own tissue, but there's not enough skin, what do we do there? So first of all, you know, the BRCA patients are in a subset where the results there especially can be amazing from an aesthetic standpoint. So that's, there's no reason to lose hope, uh, especially if you just have a BRCA, um, you know, diagnosis or carry that gene. Um, because as Dr. Daniel mentioned, we can stage it and we can do a couple surgeries, but the end outcome ends up, you know, much, much, much better than if you were to have breast cancer. And most, and most likely we would spare the nipple, which aesthetically is very important. And also now it doesn't mean anyone's going to be able to breastfeed because we're taking all the breast tissue out, but aesthetically looks more natural. It looks more real and it looks like really nothing was done. Um, but go ahead, please. But then, you know, again, that has to do with the luxury of time, right? So because we, we don't, we're not dealing with an active cancer, we're just dealing with a gene that increases your likelihood of developing cancer. We have plenty of time to plan the appropriate surgery. A different situation is if, you know, you actually have breast cancer and that's, you know, that there's a, there's more urgency there. The tumor, you know, has to be removed. We have to discuss with an oncologist, whether you benefit from chemotherapy beforehand, if you know, and then we know you don't know until uh, if you need you know radiation therapy until after surgery. That's something that depends on the number of lymph nodes involved and so on and so forth. Um, but to your point, the reconstruction depends on you know the thickness of the mastectomy flap, mm-hmm. um, the anatomy, um, you know, patient's goals. I mean, that's really that guides everything in plastic surgery. It's not just what we say or think; it's what you want uh, as a patient. Um, if, you know, if you want to be on the larger side, if you're okay, you know, being the same side, size as you were, um, these are all things that guide our decision-making. Um, from an implant standpoint, you can either just go straight to an implant, meaning put an implant in at the time of the mastectomy, um, or you can, um, you know, and this is at the discretion of the surgeon, for safety reasons and also for size reasons, you can also do a tissue expander. So a tissue expander is basically like a water balloon 
that is accessed, you know, in the office. We use a, a tiny needle to inflate it gradually. Um, and so what that does is it allows you to kind of control the pocket better uh, and allows you to gradually increase the size of the breast. A lot of patients ask, well, why can't you just put in a big implant right away? The answer is it's not safe. Um, you'll end up with a wound breakdown. You'll end up with an infection. These are all main. These are all very common problems if surgery is done by by um, you know in a way that's maybe too aggressive. Um, and so the expander is a safe way to go if um, if it's if it's the right thing to do. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And it's very important because these things are, there's, there's, there's a very important balance between all these things. There are multiple different players that are doing this, meaning there's a oncologist that comes in and takes the breast tissue out. The amount of control that plastic surgeons have over that skin flap is very little. Um, and it's very important. That's probably the determining factor of how we treat it with an expander or an implant, how much skin it, there is. And the reason Dr. Reza is so concerned or talks about it is because if you do have a breakdown, if you do have an infection, it just it's a huge setback. And the reconstruction and the goals can change. And, and, it, and it makes things um, not as smooth as, as you want them to be. Now, the other thing that we talked about is this this what the diagnosis is. Now, diagnosis comes back and the patient needs radiation, it really does change the plan. Interestingly enough, there are some surgeons, and this is a very important, if you take one thing away from this podcast is, there are surgeons that don't know or aren't comfortable doing autologous reconstruction. And regardless of your diagnosis, regardless of your treatment, they will try to treat you with an implant all the time. And that is the wrong thing to do. You need to go to somebody that's board certified that does a lot of breast cancer surgery, reconstruction, that can do either implant-based or autologous, meaning using your own tissue. And that's, we're going to kind of transition into that because I think this is probably one of the most fascinating parts of plastic surgery in being able to take tissue from one area of your body and moving it to another area of your body. And there are two ways to do it. One is to keep its own blood supply and use a pedicle, meaning use, use that blood supply and move, move it around, rotate it, whether it's up, down, you know, circularly rotated to the right, to the left, um, or completely cut it out and then reattach it to other blood vessels, which is called free tissue transfer or free, free flap, which Dr. Reside does a lot of. And I'm going to have him kind of take you through what determines the thought process of if you're going to do a pedicle tram, which you never do because you can do a free flap, or a free tram, or what's called a DIEP. And these are all big words that he's going to explain what the acronyms mean and why you pick one or the other for the patient that's having this procedure. Yeah, so um, in the right patient, and, and the right patient in general is a woman who um, you know, has unfortunately has a uh, diagnosis of breast cancer, is having a mastectomy, um, has a sufficient amount of abdominal tissue, meaning like enough tissue for a tummy tuck, 
Um, and what we're able to do is we're actually able to take that tummy tuck tissue, the extra skin and fat that nobody wants anyway, we're able to r remove it actually, like take it off the body and then reattach it under a microscope um, um, in the chest to, and then sculpt it to create a breast. So that surgery is a, um, is a more involved procedure as you can imagine. So uh, frequently takes, you know, for, if you're doing both sides, eight to 10 hours. Uh, but it, it, it leads to an outcome that women are generally more satisfied with, and that's because they don't have a foreign object in their body. They don't have an implant that's in their body that's you know, causing them um, just concern or anxiety. So free tissue transfer kind of re revolutionizes uh, breast reconstruction and plastic surgery because at least, you know, again, patients are more satisfied overall. You know, they do have to do that bigger surgery, which is no easy feat. But once you've overcome that and done it, um, you know, you're, you're kind of happier overall. And all this has been studied in the literature, and it, it's a great uh, option. And interestingly enough, you know, people, for surgeons that do a lot of these operations, even though it's, it is a big operation for the patient, the outcome's amazing. And, and the, the fact, there's, the, the failure rate is almost zero, and... Think about this. It's a two-for-one special. Basically, you're getting a tummy tuck, removing your belly fat, taking the belly fat and skin, and moving it up to the breast. Now, here are the pros, big time. Pros are, number one, if you have a radiated breast, you don't have to worry about the radiated skin. You don't have to worry about the radiated pocket, meaning putting in an implant in, which has a very high complication rate, very high capsule contracture rate. And you never have to worry about worrying about the implant that's in your chest. You have free tissue, your own tissue that's being transferred to the chest, which is unbelievable. The downside to it is that you have multiple incisions that have to heal, a longer operation with a little bit more downtime and a little bit more pain. But in the long run, it's very worth it, right? Yeah. What are the big, what are the big downsides to doing a free, free flap, which is a DIEP? Um, you know, just the length of that initial operation, uh, but honestly, over I, I would say there there is a revision rate for both types of surgery. So you know, if you get an implant in the day of surgery, you still you still have a, a significant risk that you're going to need a revision. Okay, there's no there's no saying that you're not going to need a revision if you do a free flap. Both op, both operations um, generally you know have some revision rate. Um, I, I don't really, you know, view, I, I do view the free flap overall as being a better operation in the Agreed. sense that it's your own tissue. And instead of throwing it in the trash, if you, if you have on your mind that, Hey, I think I want a tummy tuck anyway, there's absolutely no real, um, downside to it. Of course, there are the same risks as would happen with a tummy tuck in the sense that, you know, you can have you're gonna have a scar, as Dr. Daniel Poor mentioned in the in the you know lower abdomen, and that scar uh, generally heals well. But you know, as with any surgery, there's always risks that it doesn't. Um, and then you know, in addition, as you mentioned, the the flap failure rates are very very low, um, generally speaking. But you know, you could always lose the flap, and then you have to do an implant afterwards. Those are very small risks. Overall, it's a better operation than implant based recon in my mind. And the interesting part is over the last. 20 years, there's been a big shift from doing something called a pedicle tram flap, which you actually took that, that tummy tuck um, and, and basically tunneled it and kept the blood supply um, and created breasts to now basically 
taking it, detaching it, and, and making breasts. And the big difference is this. Number one, the hernia rate is zero. Basically, you, you don't, I mean, what is, the, what is your hernia rate in a DIEP? So, the, you know, you don't, you, can't, you don't develop a hernia, but there are women who rarely develop a bulge, meaning like the lower abdomen has a little bit, a little more convex that you want it to be. But um, to your point, that rate is much, much lower than with pedicle tram. So plastic surgery is amazing and is so cool because, you know, every 10 to, 10 to 20 years, we're trying to reinvent ourselves. A pedicle tram is, you know, essentially taking a light, uh, you know, a um, tabletop light and moving it with its power cord still connected, moving it from one place to another. A free flap is when we disconnect the light uh, from the electricity and we're actually able to reconnect it into a different outlet. And what that allows us to do is make the abdominal, um, that was the first time I used that analogy. I love that analogy, by the way. I was thinking, (laughs) you're taking one out of Lakey's book. I I was trying to, (laughs) so, um, in any case, uh, you know, by by doing that, um, we're for we're able to minimize trauma to the abdomen. That's really what it comes down to. And by you know, we're ma- way more precise and uh, graceful about the way that we approach these operations than you know, people than surgeons were 20, 30 years ago. Not because they were bad surgeons, but because we just learn more and we're able to do more. Um, so in this day and age, you know, abdominal the abdominal wall, like your tummy, is very important to us. Back then, you know, people would just take this tissue and if they got some amount of tissue up to the chest wall, they were celebrating. Mm-hmm. It's not like that anymore. We're very, um, we're perfectionist more than we've ever been. We're obsessed with the quality of the result. And we truly, you know, do treat breast reconstructive patients like cosmetic patients in the sense that they, they and they, as they should be, but in the sense that we expect perfection when it comes to the result. Absolutely. And, I, and, and it's funny because the interesting part, what you're saying completely applies to it. When I trained, which was 15, 16, 18 years ago, um, I just dated myself, but yeah, doing a, a, a free flop, a DIEP, was relatively rare. Now, I was lucky enough where I was with a group where we did a bunch of them, but it was still not, it was not standard of care. It was something that you had to go to a highly specialized center, university hospital, mm-hmm. that had the team to do it. Now, more and more people do it to the point where you and I talked about some people are doing it for cosmetic reasons, and we could talk about that later. Now, what I do want to talk about, which is really kind of important, is if you do implant-based reconstruction using an expander versus you do a free flap, there are actually fewer operations with a free flap than they are with an expander-based operation because with an expander, you put the expander in, you have to have someone come into the office regularly to expand the tissue. Then you have to flip it, basically take the old implant out, um, the, the expander out and put in an implant. Then you have to bring them back and do a nipple areola reconstruction. So you're doing three surgeries with multiple visits to the office, whereas with a DIEP, or which is called a free flap, you have one operation, and then you mostly, most of the time, you'll go back to do the nipple areola reconstruction and any other tweaks. Um, is that what you've noticed over the years? Yeah, I, you know, I think that's a, a great summary of it. Um, I think the expansion process, if you need to do an expander, is is not terrible. It shouldn't deter you from doing that. But I agree with you completely that you know it just adds a step, and it adds, you know, if if um, you know if you're it, it, it changes the equation because you end up doing more surgeries uh, overall 
um, as opposed to this big surgery up front. But again, I, it's not so, you know, it all depends on your anatomy, the diagnosis, everything about your case is super unique. Um, but I agree with Dr. Danielpour that, you know, having um, or consulting with a plastic surgeon who has this in their toolbox, who's able to do it is crucial because, um, you know, if not, then, you know, their human nature will be to kind of steer you towards an implant because it's, that's what they're able to do. It's very important that you just said this because I just had this conversation with someone about an hour ago um, whose wife underwent this exact operation, but their surgeon strayed them into doing implant-based reconstruction because he didn't do free tissue transfer. And I do think that's really kind of, it, it's unfortunate because if someone doesn't do it, I think they should turn around and be like, listen, I think you may be a really good candidate for this. Go see my colleague. Yeah. And I do think that's important. Yeah. Um, now, curiosity. Someone comes in and sees you and has one-sided, a right-sided breast cancer. Left side's totally fine. How do you discuss symmetrizing now there are a variety of different things whether the left breast is smaller or bigger or more totic meaning right. hanging lower we want there's two breasts so we want to make them look the yeah. same and uh how do you discuss that do you always do it in the first setting what how how does that work yeah so that's a that's a great question and also among um the more challenging situations that reconstructive surgeons plastic surgeons face is achieving symmetry um Breasts are sisters, not twins, is what I like to say. They're not. They're never going to be a hundred percent equivalent, and that's you know even in cosmetic surgery. But um, I can assure you, if again, it all it's very provider specific. But um, you know there are surgeons um, who will push the envelope as far as making sure that that sim- that symmetry is as close as possible, and that's crucial, even in the even in light of a cancer diagnosis. So to answer your question. The right side, if, if we did a DIEP flap and the left side is hanging low and is, is, um, has excess skin, then I'd come back later and just do a lift on the left side. And then at that time, we can do some fat grafting to the right breast to get things to look more equivalent. Um, if the left breast is smaller than the right breast, um, you know, generally speaking, you have a couple options. You can do an implant on the left side to try to augment it. Um, or, um, and this is, you know, getting to your point about um, using DIEP flaps, um, you know, outside of cancer reconstruction, uh, there, there are cases where, you know, successfully where um, been able to transfer tissue to the left breast to augment it as well, um, to kind of, instead of throwing that tissue away, we're able to put it to good use and augment the left breast uh, to get it to be um, reasonably symmetric. That's rare because, you know, that's in a patient who has really very minimal breast tissue and has developed a breast cancer. Um, because if you think about it, usually we're using, if we're doing a one-sided cancer in a large-breasted woman, we're using that whole abdominal skin flap or tissue flap to reconstruct the breast. Mm-hmm. Uh, but rarely we can use it kind of to augment on a, non-cancer, a non-cancer side. Yeah, so, so what we, we, we ultimately always want to symmetrize, right? It's, but most of the time, at least in my hands, when I used to do a ton of these, these is I'd always wait for that second operation. Yeah. Fix the cancer first, and then what you're expanding, or whether you're putting an implant in, let everything settle, and then bring it back and try to do the symmetrizing, maybe even do the nipple or complex at the same time of the symmetrizing so you can have the nipples in the same place. Right. Oh, and people do it a little bit differently. Um, transitioning into what you just brought up, which is great, and I think over the last 10 years or so, it's become 
really in vogue and that's fat transfer. Um, and, and fat transfer is basically taking fat from one area of the body and injecting it somewhere else. And about 15 years ago, 20 years ago, it was really frowned upon to put it in the breast. Um, because radiographically, we couldn't pick up whether or not these calcifications were cancer or whether they were fat necrosis or just calcifications from fat. Now it's routine that we use some kind of fat transfer in some breast cancer reconstruction. Um, my first question for you is, what if someone came in and said, I don't want an implant, I don't want free tissue transfer. Can you just blow my breast up with a bunch of fat? Yeah, so um, I've been asked that actually. So. The answer is no, uh, because there are limitations on how much fat we're able to put in at any given time. Um, that again, this is all with the disclaimer that I think responsible, um, safe surgeons do this where they're cognizant of how much fat they can transfer at one time. There are people who just kind of will pump as much as, you know, they can harvest into the breast and that that's dangerous because ultimately that, that fat will not take. And if the fat graft doesn't have a blood supply, or its own, you know, outlet, electricity outlet to receive nutrition and, and able to find its new home in the breast, it will get infected. Very um, important, and, guys. Or it'll form cysts and it forms firm balls in the breast, which cause you a lot of anxiety because you're like, is that breast cancer? Very I, important. I don't know. Very, very important. Yeah. It, and it's, and it's, this is a very key point because it's easy for us to just take a bunch of fat and stick it somewhere. It's really easy problem is what happens if you're putting too much and and what dr resident is saying is perfect it's right on the money you cannot reconstruct a whole breast after a mastectomy with just fat there is there's nowhere to put it there's there's no there's no tissue to put it there's a huge pocket that's created with an empty pocket and that if you just put a bunch of fat there it's all going to die. You're going to get oil cysts. You're going to get right. fats. And it's going to be more of a problem. Now, so how do we use fat? What is, what is the role of fat in breast cancer reconstruction? Yeah, so breast, you know, if we're using an implant, the number one thing that, that our patients um, are concerned about and, and complain about with an implant is the transition. So you can actually tell where the implant, sometimes you can tell just because the mastectomy you know, has removed all the breast tissue. Mm -hmm. And in thin women especially, there's a really um, noticeable transition from where their chest stops here and where the breast begins. Mm -hmm. um, we use fat grafting to soften. And that, that word is very important because you know, we're not using it to like completely transform the breast. We're using it to soften edges and kind of do more finesse um, tweaks to the breast uh, that you know, make it look better overall but again it's not a it's not like a night and day thing it's definitely you know for touch-ups and for uh, softening um very different from fat grafting for cosmetic reasons i think you know because we're dealing with cancer case and there's no breast tissue there's really not much there besides skin muscle and implant so we have to be very cautious and careful and that's really the key because when we do take fat and put it somewhere we mm -hmm. want to put it technically in an area that has fat, if, there's, if, if it's the way to go, or somewhere that has some goodness of soft tissue. With a breast cancer patient, it's gone. It's just a thin skin flap, and then there's muscle, and then there's implant. So I do think that, that you have to really proceed with caution because you can run into a lot of problems with this. However, it is an amazing tool to fix rippling sometimes to really help with that transition. I think the transition is a big deal, especially with really skinny women because you're dealing with really no soft tissue coverage. Um, the one thing I didn't ask you, and I kind of want to ask you because I think things have changed since I used to do this. When you do a breast cancer reconstruction, 
um, using implants. Do we go under the muscle or do we go above the muscle? Yeah. And, and, and really, why do we do that? Because cosmetically, you know, we both do a lot of breast augmentations, augmentations with lifts, things like that. There are reasons why we put an implant under the muscle. There are reasons why we don't. And I think that there's been a little bit of a pendulum uh, swing from going under the muscle to over the muscle. And I'm just kind of curious of, just to kind of pick your brain about this. So there's been a huge uh, paradigm shift in the past 10 years in plastic surgery. Um, ten, you know, 10 years ago, if you were to ask this question, you know, surgeon would say, without a doubt, go under the muscle. Uh, since that time, we've actually um, learned that going above the muscle in the right patient, meaning putting the implant uh, or the expander just under the skin flap above the pectoralis major muscle can lead to better, more natural outcomes, less morbidity in a woman who's had breast cancer. You're not you know, subjecting them to uh, the pain that's associated with elevating up the, uh, pec, mus the pec muscle. Um, and uh, animation deformity. So animation deformity is when you can see the pec muscle firing under the skin, and that is much more likely, obviously, if the implant is beneath the muscle because the implant's pushing the muscle up towards the skin. So um, to your point, you know, there's been a huge shift, um, and nowadays you know, we're very um, uh, likely to actually put these implants and expanders above the muscle. Um, the, the free tissue transfer, the free flaps always go above the muscle because we're recreating normal anatomy and the breast should be above the muscle, right? Like that's just how, you know, we're designed. Um, and so, um, at, you know, at the end of the day, the results that are pre-PEC, meaning above the muscle can be really, really good. And, uh, I'm glad that, you know, we're pushing the envelope in plastic surgery as we always do. Um, and it's very exciting because, you know, 10 years from now, I'm sure there's going to be a new uh, contribution or a new way to approach this. But for the time being, above the muscle is better, in my mind, than below, if, if it's safe. You know, it's interesting what you just said. I, I listened to a lecture from, from a uh, plastic surgeon who said that. He said, why put something under the muscle where the breast actually sits above the muscle, just like you said? Yeah. So why not keep it in an, in, in an anatomical place? Now, with that said... I know that studies show that doing submuscular breast augmentations have a lower capsular contraction rate. Does that change things with breast cancer reconstruction? Yes. Or does it not? And the only re reason I say this is because you've taken away all of the breast tissue. Right. So technically, people say when you do subglandular breast augs, you're, you've got, you know, bacteria that's hitting the implant and that's why you get a capsule contracture because of the whole microbiome uh, and all so so what do you think the biofilm that's that's formed yeah. is that gone because you're taking all of your breast can all of your breast tissue away so cosmetic you know um i'm gonna go back to the first thing i said i think to be uh, very good at aesthetic surgery you have to also understand and appreciate reconstructive surgery in this case, they couldn't be more different in the sense that, you know, if, if I'm doing a consultation for breast augmentation, my general recommendation would be to do what's called a submuscular dual plane augmentation. And the reason for that is exactly what you said. There's, it's the lower complication profile overall. But let's break down the difference. So in an AUG, in a breast, uh, breast augmentation, the implant is sitting below the muscle, and then there's a lot of um, tissue between the muscle and the skin. In a breast cancer patient, all that tissue has been removed. The buffer is gone. So you're looking at you know, what's immediately below the skin. There's no breast tissue. There's just muscle or implant. So, And also, exactly like you said, the breast 
um, is, you know, ultimately um, there, there are ducts. There's, there's a whole uh, system uh, in the breast that can contaminate implants and lead to capsular contracture, which means, you know, a lot more scar formation than we would like. Um, and that's a whole topic on its own that I know you guys have talked about uh, before. But at the end of the day, you know, breast recon patient and a breast dog patient are, are, should be approached differently. Um, and again, a case by case is every case is extremely unique and the treatment is tailored to that. Uh, but a cosmetic patient, you know, would benefit from going under the muscle in many cases that a breast recon patient wouldn't necessarily. Amazing. So I know that we've, we've kind of talked about everything. If I was going to tell you, give a couple of takeaway points for, for our listeners, um, what would they be? Yeah, I would. That's a that's a thank you because that's a that's a great way to end. I think, you know, first and foremost, um, make sure that if you're in the midst of a, a breast, you know, if you've unfortunately been diagnosed with a breast cancer, um, make sure that you're discussing your care with uh, a surgeon who you know is well versed in all different types of reconstruction and uh, someone that you know your breast surgeon works with um, who they trust. Um, that's, that's a good way to go usually. And then, you know, second is if you have a BRCA, uh, if you carry the BRCA mutation, definitely do not lose hope. Um, that is, you know, in either case, there's no reason to lose hope, but especially in BRCA, because that's very common, um, these days, uh, is to have a lot of anxiety about it. There's no reason to, uh, we're able to produce some incredible results, um, in BRCA patients. And uh, just, you know, just kind of go to someone who you, who you trust and, and um, appreciate as a doctor because this, this is more than anything in plastic surgery, there's longitudinal care. This is something where, you know, if I do your first operation, I also want to be involved in the second and, you know, and, and just to see your progression along the way, um, especially if we're doing expander to implant reconstruction. You have to go to someone who kind of can hear you out and understand what your goals are. I think that's a, that's a great takeaway message, and, and, and I've known you for a long time, and I think um, what I love about you is, is that it's not just that you're technically good, but you take so much time with these patients that I think it's needed. I think you need to go to somebody who sits down, listens to you, talks to you. You're not just a number in a clinic where they're just pumping you out one after another. And I, and I think this is really important because women that have breast cancer, it affects them in so many ways. It takes away their femininity. It psychologically is disturbing. They feel like they're gonna die and they're gonna leave their family. And, and I think that having somebody that's caring that takes their time. Now, it also helps that you're very technically proficient and can give them all the different types of reconstructive options. Um, but I do think it, you need to go to a surgeon who's going to be very kind and affable, be able to sit there and listen to your needs and, and give you exactly what you're looking for. And I think, again, you know, I'm not trying to sell my partner here. I think he's fantastic. Um, nice. But, you know, if you're, if you're in Iowa and you're listening to us, go to somebody that you really can vibe with because it really does matter because it is. This is going to take a while for you to get that perfect result. And you need to have multiple operations and you want to be comfortable with that surgeon. For sure. So I want to thank you for coming. Um, one of these days, maybe I'll come in the operating room and hang out and do a free flap with you. Um, Thanks for having guys, me. thank you for listening. I'm Dr. Daniel Poor. Uh, you can follow us forever young on Apple podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. Feel free to leave a comment and share with your friends. And don't forget to check out our TikTok, YouTube, and Instagram for more content. Peace.
Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.